Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's May 9th, 2018. Joining me, Andrew Egger and Michael Warren of the Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining me, gentlemen, on a very newsworthy day. But of course, we've said that before, haven't we? There's so much news all the time, every day. All right. So um, let's get caught right up. Uh, Gina Haspel had her day uh, in the spotlight. How do you think she did facing tough questions, Michael Warren? Uh, she did probably as as best as she could. This is clearly uh, somebody who has spent <clears throat> the last three plus decades uh, doing uh, uh, CIA field work and was, is not a politician. Uh, and she had to go up and uh, and speak about these issues, knowing she was kind of going into the lion's den, at least with regard to uh, the Democrats. You had people like <clears throat> uh, like uh, Kamala Harris, who wants to run for president in twenty twenty. Um, uh, and, and some others uh, who, who were trying to make a point about the CIA interrogation techniques <clears throat> and her knowledge of it. She did pretty well. She was able, I think, to um, make the case not only that um, she's not going to do anything uh, that to, to revive those techniques, um, but also uh, I think the, the character witnesses, the witnesses on her behalf, who spoke uh, on on her behalf, um, I think did a good job of, of basically saying this is a, uh, a, a not only a normal nominee, but this is a good and probably the best nominee that um, you can expect. Is that going to okay? No, yeah, two two things though. She she's she's asked about you know whether she would support the return of waterboarding, and she said she would absolutely not do that, even though she had apparently you know supported it in the past. And then she was asked at one point. Well, what if the president ordered you to do that? And I think her answer was, well, I don't think that he would. But Donald Trump's been pretty open and pretty clear about the fact that he's not only for waterboarding, he doesn't really have any problem with uh, with roughing up uh, suspects. No. So, <clears throat> yeah. Well, well, you know, what is she supposed to say in that in that position? You know, I mean, <clears throat> she, you know, that that yeah, that yes, she would. I mean, maybe that she would resign. Um, I don't know. I mean, but the, the, I think the, the the point about Gina Haspel is that is is her qualification uh, and and the fact that um, that she's sort of uh, uh, she she has. Uh, the qualifications and the credibility um, that uh, that look. Let's back up a little bit, Charlie. Mm -hmm. yeah. These Democrats <clears throat> are making uh, are making a political point. They they are they are angry. Uh, they want to make a point about enhanced interrogation uh, because this is uh, this is something that the left is very obsessed with. I would say that. Um, in terms of her ability to get confirmed in the Senate, <clears throat> there are a lot more Democrats who were not on that uh, that panel um, who are going to uh, who who are, who are not so strident on this particular issue. So I think it's an issue that yes, it's, it's important. It's something that um, that a small group of people in Washington really care about. But is it really going to uh, sink her nomination that she's she won't say definitively that she's <clears throat> unwilling mm -hmm. to take a uh, a tough uh, attack on interrogating. Uh, terrorists, if the president uh, uh, asks her to, I mean that will that will would not fly in a Democratic presidential primary. Um, I don't think it's going to affect people like Joe Manchin, who sounded who was on the panel, who sounded, um, or I don't think he was on the panel, but he was he was asked about uh, uh, about his uh, mm -hmm. support. He's somebody who's on the White House's list. There's a number of them. I talked to somebody at the White House just the other day. They're, they they are 
uh, exuding confidence that they can get enough red state Democrats on board. Um, and, and they sort of recognize that these questions um, maybe put her in danger at first. But all of those all of that credibility she has from uh, these past CIA uh, agents and, and these past CIA directors, um, I think, has helped her sort of get over any concerns that that uh, run of the mill Democrats in the Senate might have had about uh, about a Trump nominee to this position. Now I want to get to, I want to get to uh, Michael Cohen's uh, swampy slush fund and uh, and the president's decision on Iran yesterday. But to, let's just uh, look back at the primary elections from last night. You mentioned Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin um, uh, did not get uh, the candidate that I'm guessing that he was hoping for, uh, Don Blankenship, uh, who would have uh, been a crash and burn. So Andrew Eger, um, you know, I, I did see one headline that basically said something like a bad night for crazy. The crazy lost last night. And that seems to be a kind of a fair sum up uh, that uh, for for those primary elections for both the Democrats and the Republicans. Yeah, and I think that um, you know, in 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 a in a political environment where we don't really nothing seems too outlandish, no outcome is really going to surprise us in terms of what one of these elections uh, are are um, how they turn out. I think we saw that this past week with how all of a sudden everybody you know with with some reason seemed to think that Don Blankenship was going to carry the day in West Virginia. I mean, so the the outcome last night was sort of a nice breath of fresh air that you know conventional political wisdom wasn't necessarily completely dead and in the ground, you know, that, um, you know, uh, candidates with no upsides and a lot of downsides still tend to lose uh, in, in, you know, all all other things being equal. And and Dennis Kucinich on the the Democratic side running for governor in Ohio. Right, right. Something of a peril. Not quite at the Don Blankenship, you know, crazy ass stuff, but but, but in the same category. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think the other takeaway from last night is that, you know, it's not um, it's not just a return to like some sort of pre-2016 era because the other big political takeaway, at least on the Republican side of things, was, um, you know, it, conventional wisdom may still apply, but it's it's very much a, a, a Trump-friendly environment in all of these races, you know, in, 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 a, in a bunch of different races and a bunch of different states. Uh, what it essentially boiled down to was who could, uh, you know, proclaim their allegiance to President Trump's, uh, you know, political program and the president himself, you know, most effectively. Uh, we saw that in Indiana, Ohio, sort of uh, across the map. So I think that um, at least going into these uh, November elections now, President Trump, uh, you know, if, if these Republicans can win, there's going to be a lot of people coming in who he can feel uh, are, are, are pretty strongly on board with with his presidency. Yeah, I think that's a fair take. I mean, you really have seen the, the Trumpification of at least the primary electorate rather dramatically uh, Rather dramatically on this display. Now I don't know what this means for you know future primaries. Whether or not uh, this is an indication that we're not going to have a, a Senate can- candidacy, Senate nomination of uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio or Kelly Ward in Arizona. Um, but at least at least West Virginia said, hey, we're we're, we're not as nuts as as Alabama <laughs> down there. You know, I actually thought. By the way, uh, Mike Warren, I. Um, I, I don't generally think of Mitch McConnell as a particularly funny guy, but that that tweet he put out last <laughs> night, I mean, was that epic or what? I, I'm going to have to disagree. I mean, I thought it was <laughs> I thought it was kind of sad. I mean, sort of like punching down on the guy who came in third, uh, spiking the football. I, my view of this, this is, this is, of course, the cocaine Mitch. He referred to him as cocaine Mitch. And then Mitch McConnell puts out an ad, which is basically a ripoff of Narcos, right. which shows him sort of in this cloud of white powder. It's like, 
Wow. It, it, it would be pretty funny. spiking the football. It, it would be pretty funny if it had come from anybody else but Mitch McConnell. But I sort of look at this as like, um, you know, act like you've been there before. And like what if th- this guy was supposed to not be a, a, a real threat and he was kind of ridiculous. So you're you're sort of celebrating that you beat and he came in third, you know, this ridiculous candidate. I thought I mean, it was very funny, but I also thought it was it was uh, it was it was revealing of kind of the way Mitch McConnell or Team McConnell kind of views these things this is sort of uh you know a huge victory for mcconnell that the guy who said uh that uh, china people uh were were uh he was a standing against china people uh and, and opposing mitch mcconnell um, that this guy lost it was uh, I, that, that maybe i'm a wet blanket but i thought it was like it was eye rolling are, are we all at least in agreement that that cocaine mitch as a name is here to stay i, yes. I would be i would be sad if that dropped back out of the lexicon as quickly as blank and it's going does. it's going on his headstone cocaine <laughs> Cocaine Mitch McConnell. That uh, Trump will use that in a tweet referring to a man. You know, <laughs> little, little cocaine Mitch. <laughs> That'll be All something. Right. I, I know we're supposed to be talking about things like Iran, but uh, Andrew wanted to talk about uh, this, this just startling story yesterday, if in fact it turns out to be true, um, that, that Michael Cohen's slush fund to pay off porn stars apparently was receiving money from a company tied to a Russian oligarch as well as some of the largest, um, most influential companies in America. Let's just talk about this. Michael Cohen had this sort of secretive, shady slush fund that didn't have his name on it, doesn't have Donald Trump's name on it. And now we're finding out that this Russian oligarch had paid him a half million dollars. Let's just start with that. And whether or not there's any innocent explanation for that before we move on to AT&T and Novartis and all the other swamp dwellers who apparently also were <laughs> writing checks to that particular swampy slush fund. Right, right. So yeah, so like you say, there's a couple of different levels that this is working on here, right? And and the story is just wild. Like I think first of all, you just need to just appreciate how how nutty all this is because it's it's Stormy Daniels' lawyer, Michael Avenetti, who who sort of got this whole ball rolling by just tweeting out last night that they had acquired evidence of um, of this slush fund that, that Michael Cohen was getting all these donations from. So so yeah, uh, the the first layer. Was which, which you which you talk about is is what um, a lot of the media cover, coverage has gone straight to, which is the the way this ties into the potential narratives of Russian collusion uh, with with President Trump and the Trump campaign. Um, that narrative, if 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 you ask me, you know, based on my reading of it, is is a little over overblown um, because because it's you know it's it's the most ostentatious leak. It's the most uh, Potentially uh, malignant, uh, you know, spin on this this scenario, but but it, it, it's it's sort of tenuous, right? Because there's there's this company, um, Columbus Nova is the name of the company that you know that that paid uh, Cohen this money, um, and they are you know part of this this Russian oligarch Victor Vexelberg. They're part of his extremely extensive business holdings. You know, he he sort of owns them like way up the chain. Um, but you know, they've said, and and I, I'm not sure whether he's actually made a statement, but they they've basically said that. Um, you know that this was for political consulting work that that was you know un- unrelated to to Vexelberg at all. He didn't really have any involvement in it. And you know that that may or may not be true. You know because apparently Michael Cohen, the the, the broader and the, the broader story and the sort of second layer this story works on is that Michael Cohen was shopping himself around to all kinds of companies in America as as a potential uh, you know j- just as a consultant <laughs> essentially just to explain the mind of the anything. president. 
other than how to get close to Donald Trump. Right. I want to just right. stop right here with, 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 with the Russian thing, because you're, you're right. We do not know what the money was for. Um, everybody's got to take a deep breath about that. On the other hand, you know, these Russians keep showing up all the time. Um, and of course, this comes this report comes just a couple of days after I think it was the New York Times profile of Michael Cohen's uh, look into his business uh, history, which suggests that I mean, he, he couldn't turn around without bumping into somebody from from the Russian mob. So, I mean, it is it, it's a, it's just a strange story and it raises more questions than it answers. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I would, and before I interrupt you, you were getting into the the really swampy aspect of this that you have, you know, big companies like AT&T and Novartis um, writing out rather you know generous checks to Michael Cohen. And their explanations are, I'm, I'm sorry, just laughable that that they what they, they wanted to tap Michael Cohen's expertise in what communications law in uh, in, in right, healthcare. Right. Uh, Novartis now saying that, well, they met with him and determined that he basically didn't know anything about anything. So they they stopped writing the checks after having written him like more money than you, you and I are going to make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, no, it's it's it's, it's really marvelous. Other, is this the swampiest story ever? Yeah, and I, I think I think that 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 gets at the heart of what this actually is, which is that yes, um, you know, there's there's scurrilous stuff that you know the, the the Russia thing makes you raise your eyebrows, makes you take a step back, but the the bigger thing here is just you know this is pretty clear evidence that you know M- Michael Cohen, very close to President Trump, um, you know he he owns these shell companies. Donald Trump still owns you know shell companies that people haven't really been able to, to look into in, in these ways. These these are people who just aren't you know, operating with any kind of ordinary respect for the kind of uh, ethics arrangements and and avoidance of conflict of interest that, that you'd want to see out of out of any politician, especially the the, the highest levels of government. Um, and and it's you know I I, I worry that you know by overemphasizing the the Russia aspect of all of this um, that you know this this more sort of grimy and and commonplace and down to earth kind of uh, bad behavior from from Michael Cohen and pre- presumably pre- presumably President Trump because obviously you know these people aren't just paying Michael Cohen to to tell them how Donald Trump thinks they're 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 paying for influence uh, you know that, that that sort of gets lost in the wash of you know this this and, and higher not, story and they're not just paying for influence and access they're paying into this really obscure slush fund this company this this organization that nobody had even heard of before the Stormy Daniels thing they're not writing it out to Michael Cohen or to any other uh, you know a- a- entity that was you know had any sort of transparency whatsoever so Michael Warren this is not a, a trick question, I think. But I mean, you know, the the mentality behind these major American publicly held companies getting into bed with with, with Michael Cohen, is there any other explanation other than after the election, they're scrambling around saying, who knows Donald Trump? You know, where, you know, who's his fixer? What can we do? How can we get close to the guy? And then somebody whispers in their ear, well, there's this kind of shady slush fund that maybe, you know, that, that you can you can uh, you can massage his fixer Michael Cohen. I mean, is there any other like more innocent explanation? Um, there's not any other explanation that's good that, that, <laughs> that's plausible. Um, and and it, it really does reveal kind of 
um, the the way I mean, we have this idea of sort of the these great big evil corporations or corporations sort of very sophisticated view of 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 the world and politics, and it it's a reminder that they're um, they can be just as clumsy as uh, as say the Trump administration or the Trump campaign, um, and and it reveals that they obviously did not prepare um, for the possibility of a Trump administration. Can I? But I want to back up a little bit, and I agree with what you and Andrew have said about um, sort of taking the Russia connection too far. But I will say that it is interesting to me that the Mueller investigation has apparently been uh, the, the Mueller team has been investigating um, mm-hmm. what Cohen has been doing for the last several months. We don't know exactly how long they've been doing it. Um, and it's a good reminder for all of our listeners and, and other folks out there who think that, uh, you know, well, the Mueller hasn't turned up anything. Mueller hasn't uh, has, has gone you know beyond his scope. Uh, it's time to shut the Mueller investigation down because wow. it's gone too far. Well, there's a lot that we still I've been saying this for months and it's right. it, I keep getting proven right. So I guess I keep saying it, which is that there's so much we don't know that Mueller knows or that there's so much that we are learning that Mueller is has been uh, investigating for a long time. That tells us a lot more about the way that um, uh, that that uh, Trump world operates uh, vis-a-vis the Russians. And uh, and uh, that is to me seems to be what the whole point point of this investigation looking into Trump world. Um, and, uh, and and before we say close the book and say nothing's been found, uh, maybe we should try to figure out exactly what all Mueller and, and uh, hopefully we end up knowing. And if I could just add one more thing about the, the Russians in particular, I, I, in what I said earlier, I'm not trying to, to draw like a really distinct contrast between these two, because just because, you know, there's not this really elaborate Russian conspiracy, you know, just because Trump's not, you know, some kind of double agent or something like that, the Russians have a lot of, right, right. That, that doesn't mean that, you know, the Russians couldn't exert undue influence on him through exactly this kind of situation, right? Because, exactly. mm -hmm. And, and, and. That's kind. Of, that's kind of the the thirty five thousand foot thing is is really you know what what was the their leverage that you know and I think that's the question people have had you know does Vladimir Putin have something on the president of the United States which is not a trivial question, not a trivial question. I also think that Americans are going to have to start doing a uh, crash course in in law in the uh, legal aspects of money laundering because I remember six months ago somebody said you know where this is all headed it's going to go back to money laundering. Follow now, the I'm money. About Follow the money. Yeah, absolutely. Always follow the money. Not necessarily with with Michael Cohen, but what we're learning now about the real estate deals and the flipping them, it's just, it is so bizarre. And going back to the very beginning of this, that this story is broken by a porn star's lawyer. I mean, this is just, it's so bizarre. But, you know, to your point, Michael, about the people saying shut down the investigation, I mean, we are talking about things like conspiracy, money laundering, obstruction of justice, lying under oath. You know, you know, you know, you know, possibly, you know, pay for play, influence peddling, all of that stuff. None of these are trivial issues and they really go to the heart of this investigation. Yes. Um, but I, I now I will sort of zag on this uh, uh, because if we're talking about sort of the political fallout um, or I'm gonna, just going to assert that we're now talking about the political fallout from all of this um, – uh, and I don't know if it nece- in sort of the bizarre world that we live in. I don't know if this necessarily cuts against uh, the president um, because go, go back. We were talking about sort of the swampy nature of this Michael Cohen operation. Um, and 
if we remember during the campaign, everybody thought, well, you know, all of this money that Trump donated to Democrats and all of these sort of – and he sort of has talked about how he just pays these Democrats off um, because he needs help with his real estate deals. Um, that, oh, well, this is going to sink him because people don't like that. But but in a weird way, Trump gets away with it um, because he, he – he, part of what he's doing, I think, to his supporters is saying, um, look, everybody does this. Every, this is how it all operates. I'm just being honest with you about how how corrupt I am <laughs> in this. Um, well, you're right, and, and I think and that, so. And I think po- work. I think politically, it's not a slam dunk that when this all comes out, um, and who knows what's going to come out about it, uh, that it, it it's going to just sink him. I, I think it very well could, but we should also sort of think about this in terms of um, nothing what, else has. Yes, exactly. And in, in a weird way, he's he's, he's Teflon done. And Charlie, if I could just add one quick thing to that uh, before, we, before we move on. Um, the other thing is just, you know, every time there's another complicating factor, like like this new story where you have to learn a bunch of new names and get familiar with a bunch of new area, new backstories and areas of the law and things like that, another spinning plate gets thrown onto this. That sort of works out in, in Trump's favor as well in a strange way because, you know, we we look at this stuff, you know, all day, every day. That's sort of, that's our entire job that we get paid to do. And it's still like we're, we're, we're floundering around to keep our head above water just to stay caught up on what all is going on with all of this. You know, most people in America don't have the, the time and luxury to even d- devote that much attention to it. So it's much easier. And, you know, f- for a lot of people, it just makes a lot more sense to fall back on the simpler explanations that are offered to them by, by politicians and things like that. And so when everyone uh, in Trump world and President Trump himself is just saying, look, you, none of the, all of this is just a bunch of sound and fury, but what's really going on is it's a witch hunt and it's a political attack trying to, you know, trying to discredit and knock out my presidency. And when you have congressmen saying that as well, you know, it's, that's a pretty straightforward argument that's easy to get your head around. Um, and, and it, it, it's no surprise that a lot of people essentially just default to that. Um, I, this, is, this is an important point because complexity can really work in his favor. And I, I remember back to the Watergate days, not Watergate, I'm sorry, Whitewater days, when, you know, after a while, you know, everybody's worked up about uh, Bill Clinton's Whitewater scandal and nobody could understand it. Nobody, Or, or you'd have to have a flowchart to be able to understand it. People generally do go for the simpler answer. The question, of course, is, OK, so they may not care about the payoff to a porn star. Would they care about a payoff? for an abortion. Who knows? Big question mark. I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, people may think that there's some, you know, some shady financing, but but if in fact uh, you're being paid off or blackmailed by a Russian oligarch, but again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, the Daily Standard <laughs> Podcast is, which by the way, we feel like we've done over the last year and a half, the Daily Standard Podcast is brought to you by RX Bar. It's a whole food protein bar. In fact, I flew here from Milwaukee to New York City uh, this morning, and uh, that was my lunch, and it was absolutely delicious. Their bars are made with 100% whole ingredients. A few years ago, back in 2013, RX Bar called BS on other protein bars because there wasn't a protein bar out there that wasn't full of artificial ingredients, fillers, preservatives. That's why RX Bar set out to create a new kind of protein bar with a few simple clean ingredients where every ingredient serves a purpose. And they label all of these ingredients, egg whites, dates, and nuts on the front of the package and the ingredients that make up the texture and taste on the back. And again, so beyond being just a go-to snack that checks off a number of nutritional bar, uh, boxes, RX bars actually taste pretty good. They really, really do. So again, um, it's like eating three egg whites, two dates, six almonds. They're delicious, but you don't have to feel guilty about it. Whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there's an RX bar for you. There are 11 different flavors, no added sugar, no artificial colors. 
Um, flavors include chocolate, sea salt, peanut butter, blueberry, mint chocolate, more. Uh, so here, here is the, the, the offer for the listeners of the podcast today. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash standard, enter promo code standard. Again, that's rxbar.com slash standard, enter promo code standard for 25% off. Now, obviously, we have to talk about the Iran deal um, that, was, uh, that was scuttled yesterday by the, the president. Um, your thoughts on this, Mike Warren, this really should not have come as a surprise to anyone. This is something he said he was going to do throughout the campaign, but he had been urged by many of his advisors, including his national security advisor, General McMaster, uh, by the former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, by his own Secretary of Defense, General Mattis, not to do what he did yesterday. So uh, your, your, your thoughts about um, wh- why he decided to pull the plug now and what's his plan B? Well, the reason he decided to pull the plan, uh, the, pull the pull the plug now, is that there is a deadline on Saturday, um, a congressionally uh, imposed deadline uh, regarding sanctions and, and waiving of those sanctions, which is part of the Iran deal. Uh, and uh, and he had uh, reached several of these deadlines over his presidency, and and on this one, he um, needed to make a decision. And he decided uh, at the at the point uh, to just scrap the entire deal, which again, as you said, Charlie, is something that. He had been saying all along he was going to do uh, from the very, uh, you know, from the very beginning of his campaign when asked about this. He was saying, you know, tear up the Iran deal. He didn't say in those words. But um, so nobody should be surprised. Um, I do want to draw a distinction between what uh, Rex Tillerson and James Mattis had been uh, urging the president to do, which is as correct as you say, uh, to stay in the deal, try to fix the deal, whatever. Um, uh, It's slightly different with what H.R. McMaster wanted. McMaster argued that without the administration developing its uh, its entire Iran policy, um, which uh, the which which the White House has been insisting is about more than the Iran deal, that it should be bigger than the Iran deal, as opposed to the Obama administration, where the Iran policy was getting and maintaining the Iran deal, um, that McMaster wanted that and uh, and argued successfully, uh, although the president wasn't happy with it at the time, argued successfully that developing that and having that policy um, uh, determined before making any moves on the deal itself uh, was the more prudent uh, way. Um, and the president abided. And uh, uh, but 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 at this point, he says there's there's no reason. And, and you know, and I think that's uh, that is um, in many ways uh, refreshing uh, because it's something that the president said he was going to do. Um, he pushed back against uh, advisors who um, who seemed to act as if he didn't he didn't really believe that. Um, and uh, or, and he sort of what he was doing. That, well, yes, okay, and, and and that's I think that that is the flip side of this is, and of course, I, I think I'm 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 in the camp that's very happy that we are no longer in the Iran deal, but I am also very concerned about what happens next. Um, but if you look at the way that Iran has acted in the last 24 hours, yes, they've been mad, they've been burning the American flag. Wow, surprise, surprise! <laughs> it's not like they've they haven't been doing before, that, yeah, for for 40 years practically. Um, but. They don't seem to be moving out of the deal. They don't. They don't seem to be ready to blow up the deal. Um, they. They. You know. There was talk that that that's what would happen, and that Iran would leave. Other, yeah, all the other countries are still in, and that's and that's that's the big question. What happens now? See, I have a kind of a squishy position on this. I was very much opposed to this deal, and still think it was was a it was a lousy deal. You know, in three major areas, it didn't do anything about their development of ballistic missiles. It did not restrain. 
their role as a state sponsor of terror. And uh, even since that deal, I think they have uh, they've ramped up their their bad behavior in the in the Middle East. And oh, of yes. course, there's the whole question of of the sunsetting that you've simply delayed the inevitable. On the other hand, when I you know, have people ask about the, the the plan B, we have clearly um, isolated our diplomatic position from that of our allies from all of these other countries that are staying in the deal. And the question is, if the plan B is to force new negotiations, how likely is that to be when we've lost our multilateral position, when, when in fact we've cut ourselves off from, I mean, the all of the allies who had brought so much pressure by, by sticking together on Iran that brought them to the table last time. But see, so, I, I don't, mean, I don't think we'll see how this plays out. I don't think that's the end goal, uh, at least from the Americans perspective. Um, the end goal is not to uh, necessarily or sort of uh, to restart negotiations if the negotiations are sort of uh, corrupt from the beginning, which is sort of the the position of so what the is, Trump administration. So what and, 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 if, if it's not negotiations, what is it? Well, I think it's 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 preventing Iran from getting a nuclear pro, uh, a, a nuclear weapons program. And I think you you mentioned allies, and yes, the allies in the deal um, were very much uh, uh, or, or, you know you can say that we're uh, uh, sort of abandoning them. Although if uh, Obama was so you know uh, felt so strongly about this, he could have gone to Congress and and had passed this as a treaty, but he didn't do that. But you know we which we by have, the way is an important point. Yes, uh, I mean, but, the, 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 this 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 instability is is created by. The fact that rather than going through the constitutionally mandated process, you have once again a president acting unilaterally. Um, you know that was a bad idea at the time, and I think it's obviously being underlined what a bad idea that is. Yes, and um, but I will say we we have other allies. In fact, we have other allies right at the front door of Iran, uh, Israel. We have mm-hmm. the uh, uh, Gulf Arab states. And you, look, look at what Saudi Arabia said, said yesterday after this announcement. They're they're very uh, very happy uh, with this announcement. They they were not happy with the, the deal. I think at the time they sort of gave some lip service to it. But you also have um, new leadership in Saudi Arabia and a lot of concern. For from uh, Saudi Arabia and, and the other states in the area uh, about a uh, about a ascendant nuclear Iran that was th- this that this deal was not uh, addressing and in fact was allowing Iran to continue. So uh, I, I will. Least, s- it, it, yeah, but at least this deal had stopped. Play devil's advocate here. At least this deal had stopped the nuclear program. There's no evidence that I can see that they were they were violating the terms of the deal. So that even with all of these other you know, parts of the deal that that I think were were were, were lousy. At least we had bought ourselves probably a decade or more on Iran developing nuclear weapons. If the deal is gone, what prevents them from starting up right now? I, I but see, I, I I disagree with your assessment that this sort of stop. I mean, it's it's you're sort of getting into technical technical terminology of what they're able to do under the deal. But um, a there's there's the the inspections regime under this deal is pathetic, and you're yeah. uh, uh, really unable to verify what you what uh, what you. I mean, there's no way to have evidence that they are uh, violating or not violating the deal because there's no way to, to there's no way to get that evidence. And the other thing is, is that um, they the that sunset clause is so important for Iran um, because it allows them to develop um, to develop on a certain uh, level underneath the deal. They're allowed to develop uh, uh, their program to uh, at a certain level and not what use what they call uh, the, the breakout moment where you actually do have enough material to make uh, the actual nuclear weapons. 
Um, and uh, and so they're able to do that. That sunset clause means that as soon as that 10 years had hit, um, they're going to be able to, to break out. And I think that sort of um, that 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 doesn't change with the deal. And it actually gives them cover to continue to pursue that. I think that is um, that that is one of the sort of the biggest lies of this deal, which is that uh, it stops Iran. It, it, it only stops Iran in the sense from um, they're they're unable to uh, sort of openly do what they're um, what they're doing. I think behind the scenes. Yeah, the the, the only real thing, that, the only I think uh, solution for all of this will be if if somehow we have regime change and there's a democratic Iran and maybe. Um, you know, one, one would hope uh, optimistically that perhaps this will, will push that kind of a change, but we just simply don't know. And of course, the other question is, uh, how does backing out of this deal with Iran, how does that affect the apparently on track negotiations with North Korea, which, of course, I could ask you, gentlemen, but no one knows the answer to that no. at all. Um, unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you so much, both of you, uh, for joining me, uh, Andrew Egger and Michael Warren. I'm Charlie Sykes. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. We'll be back again tomorrow.